0: Growing up, this was one of the first scriptures I mentioned that, we're deal- that I memorized that we're going to deal with today. And it's a scripture that I've frequently returned to over the course of my life. I mean, a lot of times. For those of you who know me well, you know I'm uh, generally a pretty calm, even keel, steady person. Uh, but that calmness isn't me. That's really a work that God did in me. As a child, I was driven by anxiety. I just had an anxiousness to be the best, to be the most liked, to be the leader of the pack, and it created in me a volatility that came out in many different ways, but one of them was I set a record for getting sent out in the hall and time out in elementary school. I don't think anybody has ever beat that record for me, and I just, and God used this scripture in my life to change that in me and make me something different inside of me not that I don't still deal with anxiety. It's still something all of us face. Every one of us has to deal with this topic on a regular basis in our life. In our scripture today, the Philippians are facing anxiety, right? There, there's fear, there's uncertainty, there's difficulty they're facing and persecution and setbacks personally in, in their community. The, the, the Paul, the hero of their faith, is, is facing fear and uncertainty whether he's going to live or die. He's, he's again imprisoned and persecuted for his faith. And so, so the Philippians are asking, this hard question, this question that says, if, if things aren't going better for us and things aren't going better for Paul, then what does that say about our future and what it has in store for us, right? Can we trust God's goodness and his invitation to live in peace and joy, And on top of that, if you, we're not going to look at it, but the very beginning in chapter four that we're in today, there's this conflict between these two solid, mature leaders in the church, and Paul's having to send a mediator to them and the church to deal with this. So things aren't going well for them personally in their community and their faith as individuals, and things aren't going well for their church either, either. They have lots of reasons to be anxious. And so do we. We have lots of reasons. To be anxious and fearful today, and those reasons are only growing in the past 15 years. I mean, think about it, 9-11, right? A few years later, we have the greatest recession since the Great Depression, and we've had the slowest, most inadequate recovery since the Great Depression from that recession. And we see the rise of ISIS, and we see now acts of terrorism becoming almost commonplace in the U.S., and we see more demonstrations and see those demonstrations turning toward violence around us all too often, right? Right. I mean, studies a few years ago said that 18.1% of the adult population in the U.S. suffers from anxiety. Do you realize that's 58 million people? That's up from 40 million people in the studies around the year 2000, and that doesn't include children. Now, we may not all be diagnosed with specific anxiety disorders, but we all deal with anxiety. In fact, some of the most recent studies indicate that it may be even 30% higher than that as far as the people dealing with it. I mean, there was another there was another study that, that studied employees in the workplace, and 41% of employees in the workplace say they deal with high levels of anxiety that result in lower job performance. We saw a study of college students where half of the college students in the last year sought help for anxiety issues, and we know that anxiety decreases academic performance in general, impedes learning. See, whether diagnosed or not, the question is how do we deal with anxiousness? Do we self-medicate with an extra drink in the evening or an extra drink during the middle of the day? Do we stay up late... Watching mindless shows trying to avoid being alone with our running anxious thoughts that cause us to lose sleep so often. What is anxiety? Anxiety is a is a general state of fear regarding something you are about to face or concerned you are about to see happen in the future. And anxiety can be uh, this thing that's very specific, uh, tied to a specific thing or a specific experience like like a test or like a, a presentation at work you have coming up. Or, or the fear of something very specific bad happening in a relationship around you. Or it can just be this general sense or feel that something bad is going to happen that's completely unattached to a specific circumstance. It just leaves you amped and vigilant and anxious, right? There are lots of causes for anxiety around us. I mean, traumatic events. We see a lot of traumatic events that cause PTSD-like symptoms or PTSD in general and that, that leave us challenged to function effectively in everyday lives. Fractured family systems and fractured personal relationships can be a source of anxiety. I mean, for some of you, you're looking at, at family things coming up on Thanksgiving, and you're going, I don't know about this because Uncle Charlie's going to be really angry and shouting and arguing about his team losing or arguing about politics and just making a scene by 4 p.m. in the afternoon, and I'm not sure I'm looking forward to this weekend, right? There's financial pain, and actually how we navigate these holidays could make could make that anxiety higher in January if the wishes and demands uh, get fulfilled maybe too much, right? There's smartphones that have brought more anxiety into our life. I love them. I'm not getting rid of mine. But how many of you find yourself answering emails late at night after you've said, I'm done working, I'm not going to work anymore? And yet we find today that Americans work far more than they did 25 years years ago. Facebook creates anxiety for a lot of people. Again, I've cited this before. The University of Michigan did a study where the more time you spend on Facebook, the more likely you are to be anxious and depressed because you're constantly comparing yourself to your friend's cool pictures and feeling like you're missing out on life, right? Sometimes success even creates anxiety. I mean, if we fail, people give you a hug and bake you cookies, right? They want to make you feel better. But if you succeed and somebody else doesn't, then they criticize you, right? Sometimes it's just weird, just weird past baggage. Like maybe last year somebody at the Christmas office party gave you a box of chocolates and two weeks later he found out they were slandering you and they took your promotion that you felt like you deserved. So somebody gives you a box of chocolates this year and what do you feel? Not too good, right? And so we start singing weird Christmas songs. My son... Loves Christmas songs. He's already insisting on playing them all the time in the car. I'm a good dad. I let him do them. But it's it, it, this, is, this is hard for me. So this last week, we're listening, and here comes this Christmas song. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, right? But the very next day, you gave it away. This year, to save me from tears, I'll give it to someone special. And that isn't you, because you're not special. Isn't that just a wonderful Christmas spirit song? Right? There are lots of ways to deal with anxiety. Talking about it is great. Paul, in this text that we're looking at today, gives us spiritual perspectives and even more than that, spiritual habits that we can put in our lives to fight and win the battle with anxiety. It's in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, and the very first word is this word, rejoice. This word rejoice in the Greek is this word that combines two different meanings, and it's this idea of favorably leaning towards, and it's also combined with the word of the idea of grace. So it's leaning into, favorably leaning into God's grace, experiencing God's grace. It's rejoicing in being glad for His grace. And it goes on and says, Rejoice in the Lord. So it's not just, it's not just words, it's, it's, it becomes this very personal thing. It's leaning into God Himself, almost being inseparable in that relationship. And see, this is a constant theme in Paul's writing. He's always talking about being in the Lord, in him, in Christ, in the Spirit, securely wrapped up and held in this relationship that is always. With us. And that's where our rejoicing starts. That we are wrapped up in the arms of God himself, securely in a very personal relationship with him. Acts 16, Acts 17 says it this way, in him we live and move and have our being. You lean into God, like leaning into the arms wide open, welcoming hug of someone who loves you absolutely. So we rejoice in the Lord, and it says, always. Really? Always? There's got to be a different meaning in the Greek on that one, right? There has to be some sort of different nuance. I mean, always. That's like a lot. I mean, maybe rejoice in the Lord on Friday afternoon and Saturday if your Buckeyes or Michigan team or whatever team you root for wins, right? That must be what it really means. No, it says rejoice in the Lord. Always. In fact, Paul goes on to say it again. He says, because he knows, and he says it again, because he knows we're going to have a hard time believing this. He says, I will say it again. Rejoice with an exclamation mark. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious. Again, uh, other languages sometimes have a lot of picture kind of behind the meaning, and that Greek word for anxiousness has this, has this picture of the whole div- being divided into pieces. It's like going to pieces. I'm falling to pieces. Now contrast that with rejoice in Him. And anxiousness is tr- this anxiousness is trying to pull us apart, but in, in Him, we are whole. In Him, we are both, as we talked about last week, declared righteous, this right, good, perfect picture of who we are created to be in the best version of ourselves. And we are also guaranteed to one day become that dream of righteousness, that dream of health and beauty and strength and wholeness that God originally intended us to experience, a fullness of joy and peace. So when my future and my family is at stake and they threaten my identity, He is my stronghold. And we ask ourselves the question, whose am I? I'm God's. I am in Him. And from that position, instead of breathing in worry and concern and burden and anxiety, we can breathe in God and find His strength, giving us peace and joy. There's actually another picture that I think describes this really well of being held by God, and it's, it's the picture of a little baby being swaddled. I mean, remember, babies struggle with anxiety when they're first born, right? Because after birth, now all of a sudden they suddenly face this whole new world without the limits of the mother's womb. And so even their own movements, right, can, can scare them and create more anxiety, right? That's the reason for swaddling them and making it so that, that, that that's so effective at calming them down. It holds them close, wrapping them. That's what is like. it's like to be in him, is being swaddled in the presence of God. Do not be anxious about, what, about anything. Man, Paul, you keep using these real words that mean a lot. I mean, anything, that's a lot. What if I have good reason? I mean, Paul doesn't understand my terrible commute, the fact that I work in a cubicle next to a person who doesn't always shower and is loud on the phone and my boss makes all sorts of bad demands and high demands. And I mean, I mean, Paul doesn't understand that my situation is so difficult it could be a reality show if it weren't so sad, right? But Paul is writing this from prison again. I mean, unjustly in prison for like the 10th time. I don't know, I didn't count them up. Somebody else can do that unjustly beaten and stoned and faced natural disasters like shipwreck and being bitten like by a poisonous steak. And Paul is saying, do not be anxious about anything. But in every, he keeps using these words, in every situation. You see, Paul is giving us instructions about habits we need in every single moment of life, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's where I want to live. Isn't that where you want to be as well? In that kind of peace. And Paul goes on and says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Practice. You don't wait to start these spiritual disciplines to the Anxiety meter is off the charts, right? I mean, you need them then. You need them desperately then. But like great athletes, we we practice a lot. We practice long before that all important big moment in the game comes up. Paul is calling us to regular practice of his habits that he's teaching us in this text to live them right now, today, whenever any, even little anxiety, even when no anxiety is there, to practice these habits. And here's the promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Think about what could happen in all of our lives if we practiced what Paul is teaching us today. How much greater peace and joy we would get to experience so much more than we can even imagine. See, these are daily, hourly, minute-by-minute habits that Paul is teaching us. They are really the fundamentals that help us even follow him and learn to be like Him regardless of the circumstances. These verses are memorization worthy. We're going to take some time to break them down. I, I, I originally had this at seven points and then I cut it to six, but you can't do that evil number, right? So I cut it to five. So we're going to do five lessons that Paul has for us. And really the first lesson is the bottom line message of this whole text. In all circumstances, what he's saying is respond To Jesus, not your circumstances. Rejoice in what? In the Lord, always. Now, I'm gonna step here into some really dicey waters. I'm gonna make a really, I'm gonna make a couple true statements, but, but I need you to hear me out and let me qualify and let me explain them a little bit. Otherwise, it's possible you might take these statements in the wrong direction, okay? When we respond to circumstances of our of our life through anxiety first instead of worshiping Jesus, we sin. Anxiety is the result of the fall, and it 's not god 's original intention for us to be experiencing that now, let me quickly clarify a number of things if anxiety let 's go this on this path if anxiety is part of the fall, then then, then that means some of it is a chosen way of life that we choose. Some of it is a response to trauma or dysfunction in our past that needs healing. And maybe some of it, maybe even much of it for some of us, has a biological component that may need medical management unless prayer for physical healing results in a miracle, right? So to say that it's part of the fall and that it can result in sin doesn't make this a simple one-answer issue. So the next question, let me qualify this. Where does sin come in with anxiety? I mean, we all live with feelings of anxiety, and some of us are more biological and environmentally disposed to that than others here. So the issue of sin stems from how we respond. What is your response? In fact, honestly, that's the deal with any temptation, not just anxiety. Anxiety is one powerful form of temptation. Being tempted is not sin, though. Responding to temptation by being driven and controlled by that temptation is sin. But but we can also respond to that temptation, can't we? By leaning into Jesus by contending to obey Him and His ways, by contending to think His thoughts, by gaining His perspective, by trying to learn to feel as He feels. And no matter how much we wrestle with the feelings of temptation, as long as we're leaning into Him and trying to do that, then those feelings are not sin for us. Acting on temptation, being driven by it in your thoughts and decisions and actions, results, in sin, not the feelings themselves. So when we get and we all do, and driven by anxiety, then we just need to repent. We need to ask forgiveness and turn immediately and lean into that forgiveness and that love that God is so willing and ready to give us all the time. Now, for some, again, this battle is easier. And for others, this battle is much harder because of the biology or the experience of your past. We all start in different places, and progress in our growth looks different for different people in this. See, this rejoicing, always learning to put Jesus back in the focal point, is is responding to Jesus first and not our circumstances. But let's clarify another thing. Responding to Jesus by rejoicing in all things is not rejoicing in the circumstances themselves. It's rejoicing in spite of your circumstances, through your circumstances. Why? Because you have Jesus. Is there a reason, if there's a reason for fear, you don't rejoice in the fear. If you are sick, you don't rejoice in the sickness. If you are in an accident, you don't rejoice in the accident. If something unfair happens at work, you don't rejoice in something unfair happening at work. If someone dies, you don't rejoice in the death. You rejoice because Jesus is with you. And Jesus is bigger and stronger and better and more powerful than the situation. And one day, Jesus is going to eliminate all the biological causes of brokenness and sin. And one day, he's going to eliminate all the social causes of brokenness and sin. And one day, we will experience a lasting peace and a lasting joy, either when we go to heaven or when he comes back a second time. So responding to Jesus doesn't mean we need to ignore the reality of the fear or the difficulty we're facing. And it doesn't mean we have to. that having those feelings of anxiousness are sin in and of themselves, but it does mean that whenever we have an anxious feeling, we need to learn to use it as a warning signal, make it into a trigger that causes us to intentionally turn toward Jesus. Because anxious feelings most naturally turn us toward fear resulting all too often in us being driven by that and destructive, painful consequences if we allow them to determine our actions. See, when we respond to anxiety, sometimes we do so by what? We do so by avoidance. It's one way we respond. We disconnect from people, and we disconnect from circumstances, and and we disconnect from things that are actually healthy and good for us, and we do damage to ourselves, and, and we miss opportunities that God has for good in our life because we're avoiding other times, we respond to uh, anxiety with hypervigilance or control, creating pain and damage for yourself and often for others as well, robbing you of joy and peace and maybe even edging God out of the equation by choosing to trust yourself more than you trust God in the situation. Anxiety most often tempts us to be focused on and make our decisions based upon the fear of the circumstance or the possible circumstance. And Paul is saying, develop a habit of putting Jesus between you and your circumstance. Being in Jesus first as a starting point for dealing with your anxiety. And Paul's saying this out of love because he knows how destructive anxiety can be spiritually, emotionally. You suffer, it hurts your relationships. There is nothing good that comes from anxiety in us respond to jesus not your circumstance and that begins as paul says with rejoicing in him that means active worship of god we often associate worship with singing and and if you love music why not make it all about singing i mean just sing your heart out have a great time that's wonderful but i don't do as much music in my worship as i did when i was younger but i used to do a lot i remember one time when i was still working on the farm growing up and and I'd sit out there on the, on the on the tractor for 13 hours a day in the middle of a 120-acre field all by myself, singing myself hoarse in worship to God, partially to get out of the anxiety. But then when God would meet me, partially because I was excited that he was meeting me and he was there. And then the anxiety would come back and I'd sing again. And then, and then he'd come and I'd sing because of that. And so I just, anyway, just went on. But it doesn't have to always be singing. It can also be journaling. Remembering Jesus in all the ways he has been faithful to you in the past. Not just writing now, but even just going back and reading your journal to remember things. So you remind yourself he's been there and you can tap into that same peace with him in the situation that you're in now. And it may be in reading the scriptures. I've recited the scripture we're talking about today thousands of times over the course of my lifetime when battling anxiety. And God would show up in those moments when I'd recite that and and, and remember this verse. You're rejoicing and reminding yourself of who God is and who you are as you press into him. Whether it's singing or reading or journaling or talking to yourself or just intensely thinking certain thoughts about it. god It doesn't matter. It's that response of rejoicing worship. When we respond to him, God's presence comes to us and begins to do a miracle in our hearts because you allow Jesus to step between you and your circumstances. Second thing Paul's teaching us. You remind yourself that the Lord is near. Now, I know we talked about this with being in Him, but this has been so powerful to me in my life. I mean, Jesus said He would never leave you or forsake you. But when you're anxious, you're afraid He won't be there, right? He won't protect you or those you love. You're afraid of that. And you, you have this f- a fear of, of conflict that, that if you don't do this right, then you'll be unacceptable to God. And, and, and you begin to feel emotionally isolated, alone, and anxious, right? For me, oftentimes when I'm experiencing this thing, I talk out loud to God and say, God, thank you that you're right here with me. Or I visualize, I close my eyes and meditate Him standing next to me with his arm around me. Or, 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 or there have been a few times in my life where I sat across from an empty chair and had a conversation with him like he was there in the room just to remind myself that he is always there. He's with you. He's near. And when you do that, he does come to you. And bring comfort to you. Third, Paul builds on that thought and he says, You pray, right? But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You can do this under your breath during a difficult conversation. Just saying, Lord, I, I, I'm feeling anxious right now and here's what's going on. Here's what I'm concerned about. Uh, but some of you, I think, struggle maybe talking with God uh, when you're stressed or anxiety because, uh, or dealing with anxiety because you think he'll be disappointed or angry with you. But it's not like he doesn't already know what you're thinking and what you're going through. It's not like you're going to say, hey, Jesus, uh, here's what I'm thinking. He's going to go, wow, I had no idea. Totally caught me off guard, right? I mean, he knows. And he loves you. He knows. And he loves you. So talk to him about it. No matter how often it comes up. Jesus doesn't tire of us turning to him, even if you have that same anxiety coming up over and over again, all on the same day. I remember a time when I was going through a lot of anxiety over my career and my job, wondering if I was going to succeed, and it was like a daily battle almost. And as I practiced this, this, I remember getting to the point of saying, Hey, Jesus, it's uh, it's happening again. Uh, Thanks for letting me tell you again. And thanks that you love me and care about the situation. And I know I don't need to be feeling this feel, these feelings, but I, but I am. So, Lord, I, I give them to you. I worship you. I rejoice in you. I thank you for the good you're doing in me. I thank you for the good you're going to do through me in this situation. And I would sometimes have to do that multiple times a day. And God would meet me. And then a few minutes later to a few hours later, I would get amped up again and I would do the same thing all over again. And sometimes I'd get sucked into that negative process for a longer time, and other times I'd engage these spiritual habits more quickly and God would come again and again. And now today that particular issue is not nearly the size that it used to be for me. It very rarely crops up today. But it took focus, it took time, it took years of me practicing these habits for me to get past it to the point that I am today. Prayer, he says. Talking to God about what you're feeling and thinking and listening to God in prayer. Because God wants to speak to you. He wants to bring to mind the things that you need to be thankful for, the things that he wants you to be thinking of. And he wants to bring to mind maybe a better perspective on the situation you're facing. Petition. It's making requests of God to intervene and work in you or your circumstances. Then Paul goes on and says, and thanksgiving. Even before the answer is evident, we thank God because he's big, because we know he's good, because we know he's all-powerful. We can thank him for his goodness even before the answer is there for us. Even in praying the outcome ahead of time, we can say, thank you for answering this prayer. And see, the Bible teaches us that God inhabits the praise of our people, of his people, and that's exactly what he does. Fourth, we can meditate on the right things. Another habit. Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, isn't it true that anxiety captures our thoughts? And it tries to divide us. It keeps our mind racing at night. It's what drives our reactions. See, the truth is we meditate on something. We either meditate on the anxiety or we meditate on something else. And Paul's inviting us to meditate on something else. A couple of weeks ago I told you about Carrie Van Runkle who, who so inspired me visiting her in the hospital Carrie went to be with Jesus a little over a week ago. We're going to celebrate her life Saturday, December 3rd at 11 a.m. here at Quest. Carrie was an amazing example of choosing to meditate on the right things. For some something like, I forget how long it was, 16-plus years, something she'd been fighting cancer, and she was going regularly for round after round of chemo or radiation or whatever, going to the oncology center. But when you talked to her and when you, when you heard everybody tell stories about her, Her focus wasn't on the drugs. It wasn't on the side effects and the pain that was surely going to come from that treatment. Her meditation going into those treatments was on how she could be Christ to everyone she met in that oncology center. How she could be encouraging to them. How she could pray for them. Her mission was to encourage those doctors and nurses who dealt with mortality every day of their life to encourage them they were doing something good and something beautiful, to bring Christ into that situation. Paul says to us, think on what is true. We choose to meditate on that. And if anxiety is great enough, we say the truth out loud, we scream it out loud, or we write it down, or we write it down over and over again. And the question is, are you reading or, or, or memorizing Scripture enough so that you can meditate on and you can recite Scripture to fight the anxiety with scripture and truth. Where is your focus? He goes on and says, whatever is noble. There are many anxiety-producing things about politics lately. But we can value the tone of Trump's acceptance speech. And we can value the dignity of Obama welcoming Trump, Trump to the Oval Office. And we can praise God for being in a country where transfer of power happens peacefully. Whatever is noble. See, anxiety clouds our ability to see noble actions and acknowledge them. We blow some things way out of proportion and and other things we minimize. Paul goes on and says, whatever is pure. Does the impurity of the shows you watch amp your anxiety up, creating more fear of crime or more fear of relational betrayal? If so, you may want to rethink the shows you're watching. Whatever is lovely. You know, sometimes when I feel anxiety coming on, I just go outside and I look at the clouds and I praise God for his beauty. I look at my wife or I look at my kids and I thank God for beauty or I see a picture of an amazing place on earth and I thank God for beauty or maybe for you it's different. Maybe it just is a nice candle of your favorite scent in a nice warm night in a blanket sitting in the dark at home when everything's quiet. Whatever is admirable or commendable. Focus your day on what others are doing that is good and see how many people you can encourage and commend for their good actions that day. Anything worthy of praise, think on these things. See, this is not avoiding or denying the issues. If you are anxious, you already know the reality of those things. This is intentionally moving from a negative-only view that, that anxiety draws us towards to putting God front and center, the good, the noble, commendable things in greater view in our life. See, what we so easily do when anxiety strikes is we give ourselves a blank check. To look at it. To say what we want. To think what we want. To do the things that we shouldn't do. To stop doing some of the healthy things that we know we should do. And we excuse it all by saying, but I had a, I had good reason. Because I had a really bad day. I got really angry. This is really scary. This tapped into my bad, past bad experience. And we let ourselves off the hook. And we say it's okay. But it's not okay, is it? Because anxiety destroys your joy. We know it's not okay. It destroys parts of your life. When you get caught in it, repent and fight it with these habits Paul is laying out for us. Rejoice and worship. Pray, petition, and thank God. Choose what you meditate on. And if you believe God is good, you train yourself to act like He is good. And eventually, you feel more and more like that. And finally, fifth, we need to accept and expect the peace of God. Verse 7 says this. It's one of the favorite verses in all of Scripture. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that verse? A peace that goes beyond understanding, a peace that we can't fully explain, a peace that is a gift that comes from God when we put God before our circumstances. In my experience of this kind of a peace and what I've heard other people talk about it, it comes in various ways for each of us. And, and sometimes it's a peace or joy that permeates our whole being. And we go through this really difficult experience. And afterwards we say, wow, that was not like me. I should have been freaking out and I felt nothing but calm, even joy and strength going through that. And then there are other times we experience it differently. We face these times of loss, of death, or loss of a job that unsettles all of our life. And and the peace that passes understanding in those moments is like the safe and secure circle around your feelings that allows you to safely feel all that stuff. Some people like to refer it this way. They say it's almost like being in the eye of the storm where everything's swirling around, but I have this sense of calmness which allows me to look at and feel and process everything swirling, but there's this sense of peace that carries me through and allows me to process this difficult moment. Or, Or some go back to this whole image of the swaddling of a baby that keeps the baby from flailing in the face of the fear of the new unknown, but still allows you to be in that same situation and face it and feel safe. See, what Paul is telling us is if we realize we are in him, if we exercise these spiritual habits well, responding to Jesus first, rather than our circumstances, then each of us has hope for a life that is far better, far more beautiful than we experience right now, more peaceful, more joyful, less stressed, healthier physically, healthier relationally, because we don't let anxiety and control damage us or others around us, and we encounter God in His presence more fully and more regularly. This week, I want you to consider memorizing the the passage that we've talked about this morning and waking up in the morning with this passage in front of you and visualizing you being in God, however that looks, if if the swaddling thing makes sense, if if the arm holding you makes sense, if you want to have an empty chair, whatever makes sense to you, visualize you being with him, near him, in him. And as anxiety gets triggered at any moment during this week for you, Use this passage to walk yourself through that anxiety. Begin by rejoicing, remembering He's with you. Then go to prayer and petition and thanksgiving, and then train yourself to meditate on the good things that He wants you to meditate on. Today, if you're here and you have never made a decision to follow Christ and you want to make that decision to be a follower of Jesus, here's what, I, here's what I can tell you. I invite you to do that today. And if you do that, you will experience a deposit of peace and you'll begin this journey of finding a peace and a joy and growing into that that you can hardly even imagine. You can come talk to me if you want to make that decision today. But right now, we're just going to continue to worship and I invite you to stand as we do so. Allow the words of this song even now, to begin to strengthen this habit of rejoicing in Him and responding to Jesus rather than your circumstances. Many of you walked in today, and and this week has been full of anxiety. Some of you didn't sleep well last night because of some anxiety going on. And I want you to take that anxiety and I want you to hand it as we sing to Jesus. And I want you to declare these words and say, I'm going to choose to worship you and believe this. And Lord, would you come near to me right now? Because He wants to do that. So join in worship. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag #gotoquest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's g o t o quest.org.